everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Salt Lake 2002 Retrospective Podcast, a back-of-house look at the planning and delivery of the Salt Lake 2002 Olympic Winter and Paralympic Winter Games, as told by the very people who organized them. I'm your host, Christian Napier, and I'm very excited to welcome our next guest, the Mr. Rob Parks. Rob, how are you? I'm good. How are you doing, Christian? Man, I'm doing great. I'm doing great. Uh, From where are you joining us today? I'm in uh, beautiful Phoenix, Arizona. Well, Phoenix is beautiful. Depending on the time of the year, the temperature is uh, more attractive than other times of the year. What's the what's the weather like there these days? Well, right now we're upper 80s and we're headed to a week that's ending in the hundreds. So, yeah, it's getting hot already. Yeah, that's a little toasty for my liking, especially since we're talking about winter games. Yeah. <laughs> and not the summer games. What takes you to Arizona? You know, I, it's kind of funny. I came from, uh, I grew up in the Chicagoland area, but I was in Arizona before I joined the Olympic Committee. Uh, I was working down here and got, uh, my wife at the time got transferred to Salt Lake. And I've just come back to Arizona after what, almost 19 years of having lived in Salt Lake City. Wow. So you lived in Salt Lake just until recently then? Yeah, I just moved almost a year ago. I moved down here. What were you doing before the games time down in Arizona? And how did you get from Arizona to Salt Lake for the games? Yeah, so I was working at a law firm in Arizona, which is kind of my first human resource job. And then, uh, as I said, we got transferred to Salt Lake City. And I thought to myself, I'm going to move to Salt Lake City. I don't have a job yet. I'm going to work for the Olympic Committee. And somehow I pulled that off. To this day, I'm not sure how. (laughs) Because uh, <laughs> I just applied to a job on a, you know, just a normal way of getting into an organization. I didn't know anybody. I just applied to a job like anyone else. I went in for my interview. And I remember I had interviewed for a few positions in Utah at the time. And I thought, you know, I really want this gig. I got to do something different. So I wore glasses. That was it. It's the glasses. It Who knew glasses. it would be glasses? It's funny. I did the same thing. I remember I was working for IBM. And I was really tired of traveling. I'd been doing that for about five years, every week commuting. And so I started looking for things back in Salt Lake City. I was working in Minneapolis at the time. And I went on monster.com. You remember monster.com? And I was looking for jobs in Salt Lake and one popped up for Salt Lake Organizing Committee. And somehow, some way, maybe it was the glasses because I wear glasses. Somehow I lucked into that, into that role. Well, we're contacts at the time. I had to, I chose to wear the glasses that day just to be different. It was a conscious effort. It was a choice. That's so cool. It was so long ago, Christian, that I got home. So I lived in uh, like near Sugar House Park. So not too far from downtown because it was at the Wells Fargo building. Yep. um, Where the interview was. I got home from the interview and uh, my wife at the time says, so how'd your interview go? And I thought, seemed okay. She goes, well, you got a call already. So they called, you know, the home phone, that thing we used to have back in the day, a landline. Uh, they had already called and I called back and was offered the job and perfect. It's so funny you say the, the landline. I actually still have a landline. That's how old fashioned I am. I still have one. I'm paying extra money just for this landline because I've had this phone number for like 30 years and I just feel so emotionally attached to this phone number. I can't give it up, even though I never use it. 
occasionally some call comes in and it's usually some robocall or something. Yeah. I can't remember the last time I actually spoke with anybody on this landline, but I still have it. It's nostalgia, right? It is nostalgia. Like we hear people in these interviews talking about CD players and reading actual physical newspapers. Like, what is this stuff? It is weird how much things have changed and really what seems like a short amount of time, right? 20 years isn't that long. But man, the world's different. It is so different. It is so different. You're joining from your home. Are you working from home? I am working from home. Yes. Yeah. Uh, me too. Here with this whole virus thing. Yeah. No, we don't. I don't normally work from home. This is a new thing for me. It, and it is the the virus that sent us uh, working to home. And it's been great. I mean, I really like it. Do you want to go back? I mean, when the virus ends, you're like, do you have a hankering to get back to the office? Or are you like, you know what? I kind of like this home gig. It's pretty cool. I like the home gig. I can't say I have a hankering to get back to the office um, because it's been seamless. I mean, you know, I still work in human resources and it's work that transfers really well to being remote, working electronically. Yeah, I totally agree. I totally agree. I like working from home. I like having a little home office, my little space. And yeah, I'm definitely not made for the nine to five office thing now that I've become accustomed to working from home. So you said you're still in HR yeah, and that's what you were doing there in Slock. but what specifically was your role in Slock? So I, when I was at Slock, I think I started as an HR coordinator type position, uh, but then I quickly became what they called the employee relations manager. Um, so I was in that segment of Slock that was traditional HR. You know, we had benefits, we had the compensation piece, um, and then we had the policies, the procedures, and then the, all the employee relations stuff. Uh, so by the time, definitely by the time I finished the game, I was the sole employee relation manager for the organization, which meant I dealt with all the uh, kind of ugly issues of the Olympics, the less glamorous. Well, I want to hear about ugly, less glamorous, but we'll A, we'll try to keep it clean and B, we'll try to keep it anonymous. Oh, definitely. We don't want to violate any HIPAA laws or anything like that. Although I don't even know, was HIPAA around at that time? No, no. And I, I don't think I could remember the names of anybody. <laughs> As I've said on a couple of other podcasts, the statute of limitations probably already passed on some of those experiences anyway. Let's dive into some of those, sure. some of those funny experiences. What were some of those crazy, um, weird experiences that you had as an employee relations manager? <laughs> oh, gosh, Christian, it's going to be really hard to just to choose one of these things. But so, you know, we were such a unique organization, right? So much of it was just figured out on the fly. And one of the things we figured out on the fly was policies. So we had, you know, regular policies that were being written brand new all the time. So I get, uh, my manager comes to me and it was Tam Beaven. I think she's Tam Ambrose now, but she comes to me and says, yeah, we need to write a policy about security cameras in the building. Okay, that's interesting. Let's write a policy about security cameras. And I said, okay, well, what do we need to cover? Well, we need to let people know there's cameras everywhere. Okay. Why? Well, there's been some employees in the stairwells that have been caught engaged in romantic activities. And we would just want to make them aware that there are cameras in the stairwells. So we drafted a policy. To me, the funny part was, wasn't the fact that we needed a policy about security. It was that we didn't care that there was romantic gatherings in the stairwells. Well, times have certainly changed, right? <laughs> I mean I, yeah, definitely. But man, that was uh, that's just one of the minor pieces of the puzzle. And, and I never actually saw the footage. I didn't really care to see the footage. 
We just wanted people to be aware of what was going on. Well, there wasn't any YouTube back then. Heaven forbid there were, you know, was YouTube back then. Who knows? Some weird footage pops up on YouTube of people on the stairwell doing whatever they're doing. Uh, lighting the fire within, I believe, is what we called that. Uh, the, the most creative use of the motto to date, I think. <laughs> well done. I'll never yeah, think of that model the same now. Yeah, Every time really I hear it, I? yeah, I'm going to uh, hear the little torch song, like the fire within or whatever. I'm going to, yeah, my mind is immediately going to the stairwell. Thanks a lot. You, I think we started around the same time, right? Fall 2000. Yeah, I started in June of 2000. June, okay. So I was a little after you because I was, um, I think, early fall 2000. And do you recall that orientation we would do for employees? Um, I vaguely recall it. Don't do every, test me on anything. No, I can't test you on anything. But every Monday we'd bring in these massive amounts of people because we were recruiting at such a pace and we'd have this, uh, you know, 20, 50 people orientation going on in that kind of a common area. I think it was on the 15th floor of that building and everything was about, this is your once in a lifetime opportunity. You know, you're, you're joining the winter Olympic games and this is going to be the best job of your life, which I think is pretty much true. Have you found a better job in the last 20 years? Yeah, I've mentioned this before, but, and I mentioned on the very first podcast with Darren, because Darren and I, after the games were over, we were just looking at each other like, wow, that was awesome. Will we, is this the pinnacle of our career? Is this it? Yeah. And uh, in some respects it was, in other respects, uh, you know, I've done some, some fun things, but there was nothing quite like working for that organizing committee for me. No, from a work environment standpoint, it was definitely the pinnacle of a career. And it was hilarious because the office was a totally open space, mm -hmm. right? We, I think there were only a few people like Ed and Mitt and Frazier that actually had physical yeah. offices. Everybody else, we were just out in cubicles in, mm -hmm. in cubicle land, right? Yeah. I just remember people roaming around with those uh, Olympic vests. Remember those, uh, those black fleece vests that they were selling. <laughs> it seemed like that was the uniform of the slock employee for a number of years. That's right. That's right. You know, you mentioned the, the meeting. It just reminded me, um, in addition to those weekly new orientation meetings, mm -hmm. uh, they had a monthly all hands meeting with Mitt and everybody, you know, mm -hmm. and I remember going to my first monthly all hands meeting. They had some things that they would give away. And I, and I got, I don't know how I won this, but I, I won a book, which was figure skating for dummies, <laughs> which is quite appropriate. Yeah. It was, how's your figure skating today is the big question. <laughs> uh, not so great. Not so great. But I had that book there in my cubicle. And shortly after I got that book, Christy Yamaguchi came into the office for some reason. <laughs> I don't remember. And she was walking over to Ed Einan's office and I saw her and I thought, I got to get her to sign this book. So I got up and I walked over there and said, Christy, can you sign my She did. That's great. So, I, so I've so i got cred because Christy Yamaguchi signed my, my book do. for idiots, the, the figure skating for dummies. Yeah, you reminded me of the only thing I've won in my life. I, I did so while I was at the organized committee. If you recall, they, and they and the, I was at the Gateway Mall where they have the Olympic Legacy Plaza. Yep. And they had all those bricks that you could buy. Right. And it, they gave one away to a lucky employee out of the drawing. I was the lucky employee that got a free brick um, to, put, <laughs> to put at the gateway. So I think my oldest daughter's name is on a brick 
Well, that's that's awesome. <laughs> uh, that's awesome. You have to tell me where it is. I have to go look and find it. You know, it's although it's, there are thousands of bricks there. Is Sir La Top still down there? It was like it was over in that area. It might be. It might be. I don't know. I haven't been down to the gateway for a long time. I think that's the problem with the gateway that no one goes there. Well, actually, I have to take that back. My sister happens to be the editor of the Salt Lake Tribune. Oh. Their offices are in the Gateway, and we go to lunch every month or so. But I only drive there, and I pick her up, and then we go somewhere else. I've been doing this for years. I don't think we've eaten in, in the Gateway one time. See, I, th- I think that's the symptom of the problem. That was the Gateway, at least when I was still there. So Yeah, but I guess you're right. I guess you're right. Okay, back to the Olympic memories. Oh, sure. What else you got? You know, do you remember... Th- you know, the fun thing about what we did in HR is Salt Lake seemed to be like the place where they wanted to try new things. And we had that. Do you remember the job transition program? Yes, I do. Where uh, it, was, um, it was Lisa Wardle. I think she was a consultant with the games, myself and then Tammy. We took it upon ourselves to interview just about every employee that we had. And the goal was to help people get jobs post-Olympics. Now, most people wanted to go, you know, another Olympic game. Or their pie in the sky job, like, you know, I want to go work for Nike. Um, and we would sit down with people and take their information, do these little interviews. And to me, the fun part was it allowed me to interact with people throughout the games in a positive way. Because when you're doing the employee relations side of things, it's often the negative way. <laughs> um, so we would uh, go around and meet with people. And then Lisa was the one ma- making calls to those companies and saying, hey, we've got this employee that likes to come works wants to come work with you. And unfortunately, after 9-11, um, the economy tanked. And a lot of those jobs that we were trying to line people up for went away. So this great, wonderful program that we built and you know, kind of fed throughout the games kind of disappeared. <laughs> so it's a bittersweet memory. I shouldn't have shouldn't have given you a bittersweet memory, huh? But it was a great way to meet people. Yeah, I remember that job placement program, and and I've seen Lisa a lot over the years. Although not recently, um, she spent a fair amount of time in the in the games movement. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, a few years ago, I think she went over to Nike. It's funny you mentioned Nike, <laughs> uh, yeah, working for them. Um, and I think she's still there, but I'm not exactly sure. But I remember that, and I actually. Uh, related this story on another podcast, but I had an opportunity to go work for an international or a paper mill that was up in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho. And, and I wasn't too thrilled about it because it was manufacturing paper. And after doing an Olympic games, that doesn't seem terribly exciting, but they, they had a huge market share of private label toilet paper in the United States. And now I wish I would have been working for them because I would have had a access to a preferred supply of toilet paper. I still don't understand that, by the way, why that became an issue. Why the toilet paper became an yes, issue? Why the toilet paper shortage that we're currently facing in 2020 is the reality. I think most of it's psychological. Yeah. And part of it, I remember reading an article where someone said, uh, well, they calculated that because people are now working from home and the children are not going to school and they're not going out to eat in the evening, <laughs> that people are using 40% more pa- toilet paper at home <laughs> because they, they're not using it anywhere else. They're only using it at home. You're probably onto something there. 
I just know that I never thought I would go into a Costco and see a roll of paper towels and think, oh, wow, I've won. I know. It's so funny. The other day, I actually found some toilet paper. It was a small roll, like a four pack of toilet paper, and I mm. bought it and I brought it home. And my wife started crying. She's like, yes, we have toilet paper. <laughs> it was so amazing. Like it was uh, gold leafed paper or something. I don't know. Yeah, it's it's the flowers of 2020 is what that is for you and your wife. <laughs> the flowers of 2020. All right. Mm-hmm. Well, <laughs> oh my goodness, I'm getting I, I, I'm getting so uh, sidetracked here with yeah, toilet are, paper. I apologize and all for that. that. I, I should have warned right. you of a tendency. No, it's <laughs> perfect. It's perfect. What Back else we the got there? See, the other side of what I did was the employee relations stuff, and I I think um, when we were emailing, I had joked that uh, no one wanted to be alone in a conference room with me, because if you were alone in a conference room with me, it typically meant you were on your last day with the organizing committee, um, because I had the uh, the role of transitioning people out of the organization. Well, I never wanted to be alone in a conference room with you, but it wasn't for those reasons. We won't go there. Um, All right. Anyway, I, sorry, I I interrupted your story. So, Uh, but no, there was one employee that, you know, we, it was just a normal, normal meeting and they showed up or I showed up a little bit early and I was the only one in the room. And then they walked in and they turned pale because they just saw me sitting. But so, but I'm actually telling you the nice part of this story is I loved the role because for so many people, um, they were hired into this organizing committee so quickly. You know, it, you were kind of over by the recruitment team and uh, man, if they were hiring, you know, 50 people a week, it was probably in the low end when we started. Uh, and sometimes they would hire the person for the wrong role. Uh, and I had the great opportunity of taking some people and transitioning them elsewhere in the organization. So they'd come into that room and their supervisor would be telling them something along the lines of, Hey, this position isn't a fit for you. We're going to have to move on and say, well, here's this Rob from HR. He's here to talk with you. And I'd go in that room and do that. But if I found that they were just badly placed, I would transition them somewhere else in the org. And that was fun because it was making a difference in their life. And you know, helping us as an organization, because, you know, our goal wasn't just to, to flush people out down the toilet to keep your toilet paper analogy alive. It was to help transition them to other opportunities, even if it wasn't with us. Well, I think that's great. Um, I mean, certainly from a, an HR perspective, it's it's easier to fill a position if you can move someone over Mm -hmm. and then you save all that money that you've invested in them already on recruiting and training them, then just kicking them out the door and then trying to find two people uh, to fill positions. So that's awesome. Then we didn't have to edit that offer letter that had your um, start date and your end date. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, well, I have to say that's one thing that Slot did well. And I've talked about it a little bit before is, is, they did a pretty good job with the retention. I thought mm-hmm. um, the the bonus and everything. Yeah, um, I thought on the whole, slot treated their people pretty well. I think so. I really do. I mean, there was just something unique about that environment, and I think some of it was the fact that it was in Salt Lake City. I mean, I know you're a, a local, um, and, and you've talked about it before. And that opportunity to work in your hometown on Olympic Games was phenomenal. Um, the fact that we had no trouble finding employees, the fact that we had no trouble finding what thousands of volunteers. I mean, I think we had more people who wanted to volunteer for the Olympics than we had space for. Um, and I think there was just something unique about 
that time in Salt Lake that made made that all happen. Um, so retaining employees wasn't that hard. In fact, the only time I remember us losing employees involuntary um, was again after 9-11. Do you recall we used to have a bunch of uh, bomb threat drills or fire drills in that building? I do. Yes, I do. So if I think we were on the 15th floor and you'd have to trudge down 15 flights of stairs. Yeah, with the security cameras watching. Yes, with the security cameras watching you. And they were so slick, they'd pick you up as you made the corner in the stairwell so there was nowhere to hide. <laughs> but we had some employees come to us and say, you know what? I'm stressed out. The anxiety of these drills is getting to me. I don't feel safe and I'm not going to work here anymore. It seems so weird to think about that now, but back mm -hmm. then... We everybody was a bit you know, on pins and needles, right? I mean, everybody was a bit yeah. uncertain. We didn't know what was going on. And so, yeah, it was it was a stressful time for everybody. It was. And it's kind of weird to be in the time we are now as, as kind of a corollary of, you know, something that, you know, in 2001 was, you know, it was world based, but it was really U.S. focused. And now we're in the middle of a, a pandemic crisis that's worldwide. And to see some of that same you know, fear and anxiety come back into people. And heck, if I don't think if we had the technology we have today, it would be even harder for people to be dealing with what we're dealing right now. The fact that we can talk to each other here in our homes, the fact that we can all work remotely, I think that's what's saving people right now. Absolutely. I can't imagine what it would have been like 20 years ago, much less 100 years ago when this happened the last <laughs> time in the planet. Yeah. And the technology definitely is a big help. It is a big help to be able to connect with people yeah. in new and interesting ways. And this podcast is a manifestation of that. Mm -hmm. 20 years ago, we couldn't have done this. Oh, and mm -hmm. and I find myself connecting with people that I haven't, like you, you know, I haven't connected with for a very, very long time. And it's great to catch up and, and make those connections once again. You don't, I think the only reason we are connected is someone shortly after the games put together the idea of, hey, this new thing out there is called LinkedIn. Let's let's kind of link up on LinkedIn. Yeah, kind of crazy, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> and now LinkedIn is like, this is how I find a job today, right? It's not, exactly. Not just, yeah. Exactly. It's so crazy. All right. Well, you've you've given us a lot of great stories. Oh, I have to be um, honest, Christian, I haven't given you the best one. Well, <laughs> I'm going to have a, I'm going to have you save a goosebump, uh, really like inspiring one for the last, but if you've got another one, it's that's, not, uh, it's not inspiring. That, it's just, <laughs> yeah. If you got another one, that's not inspiring. <laughs> let's no, go ahead and go with that one. Give us, just, give us your big story here, Rob. It's not my big story. It's, as you would know, so you've stayed in the games culture, so you're around a lot of people that work in the games. Um, having not stayed in that culture, you have the Salt Lake org organized community in your resume. Everyone asks about it. You, you can't go into a job interview. You can't interact with people without somebody saying, oh, my gosh, what was that like? <laughs> what, was, what were your favorite memories? What's the craziest thing you saw? So to the answer to the last question, the craziest experience I had was Again, I spent a lot of time one-on-one -on -one with people in conference rooms. And I had this individual whose thankfully name I don't recall, uh, who was a transportation driver and asked to meet with me, go into this room and he's talking. And unfortunately we had a language barrier because um, he was predominantly Spanish speaking and I speak English about as well as you hear me. So that's, that's what I've got. And we were having difficulty communicating and he was trying to describe to me 
and, and I can't do this as a podcast, but he was making hand motions of bouncing up and down. And I think what he was referring to is he was bouncing up and down in the seat of the truck. And that, okay. bouncing, yeah. <laughs> and that was causing him some discomfort. So as he became frustrated with me, not fully understanding, he stands up from behind the table and he says, let me show and starts on doing his pants because he wanted to show me whatever was happening to him from sitting in that truck seat, bouncing up and down for hours. Okay. So I, I nearly had an indecent exposure in a conference room at the uh, Olympic headquarters. Wow. Okay. <laughs> Another example of lighting the fire within, it sounds like. Yeah. <laughs> Nothing inspirational there. Just, <laughs> just kind of, just kind of sad <laughs> for me, I think. Okay. Well, on that chafing note, uh, we'll move, <laughs> we'll move to the next section of our interview here. Rob, thank you so yeah, much. No, I've got stairwells and, and indecent exposure. I mean, man, we've, we've really visited all the highlights of the games. Be, but I yeah. gave you those assignments at the beginning. Mm -hmm. Well, actually, before we, we came on. Yeah. Here's assignment number one. Uh, can you nominate a song? A song that meant something to you or it's a song that whenever you hear it, it reminds you of Salt Lake 2002. You know, the... There weren't, there wasn't a lot of music in my life at that time because I had a daughter that was born in December of 2001. Uh, so she was pretty little when the game started, but it had to have been U2's Beautiful Day was the one, because I don't know if you've had that experience of during the games, I was stationed at the main operations center and just driving into downtown early in the morning, it was so calm and it just kind of that crisp winter air. It just felt like, dang, this is this is a really cool thing we're doing. It is a great thing, and uh, and that song's a great song. And yeah. uh, you're not the first one to actually nominate that song. Uh -oh. Dan Merkley also nominated that song, "Beautiful Day." So that's perfect. Uh, we've it means that uh, two people now have nominated that song. Already so on the playlist. It's on the playlist. If you've got another one, you're free, free to add it. But "Beautiful Day" is a great song, and and that really takes me back to that time also. Yeah, yeah, there was, I mean, gosh, we had all those concerts on the Metals Plaza uh, that people were uh, clamoring to get tickets to. That was, a, that was a great event. Oh, it was, was, it, uh, it was loads of fun. And, and several people have talked about those concerts on the Plaza, uh, particularly Bare Naked Ladies. We've had, Darren mentioned that in his podcast, yeah. and we've had a couple of other people also mention the Bare Naked Ladies concert in the Metals Plaza on their, on their interviews as well. Yeah, sadly, I, I had tickets to that one, but I, I was just exhausted at the end of the day and the thought of going to be cold on the plaza just didn't fit for me. So I think I gave my tickets to someone else. Oh, and then with a very young daughter, I'm sure, I'm sure that was hard. I guess you could have nominated something like uh, Blue's Clues or <laughs> Dora the Explorer or something. Oh, but, uh, <laughs> or Barney. <laughs> no, there's a strict Barney band in my household. Oh, man, you, you lucked out. My older, my oldest son, yeah, he was a big Barney fan. But by the time the games rolled around, Barney was kind of on its way out. It's not, not as, uh, not as popular. Yeah. So, next question, next assignment was the food. Mm -hmm. So, a particular restaurant that you wanted to go to lunch. So I don't know if it was lunch we did as much as it was breakfast. It was right at the corner. It's not there anymore, unfortunately. It was the Royal. It was the Royal Eatery. It was at the corner of, uh, was it 4th and Main? Yes, the Royal Eatery. Burger. Yeah. I remember going there to get breakfast. 
Um, and we, I know we went like a week or two before the games were started and we looked in the back and it was like the prices had jumped. <laughs> they, they nearly doubled their prices for the simple breakfast. And I remember going, it's like, what, what happened to the prices here? And then he knew us cause we'd been there enough. So they just gave us the regular price, the Royal eatery for the, uh, breakfast I ordered. Uh, and we moved on, but I, I know it's gone now. So sorry. Well, they mustn't have gotten the memo on price gouging during the mm-hmm. games. You know, the IOC makes you sign guarantees saying, oh, we're going to control prices and we're not going to allow price gouging. But it inevitably happens. Now, the Royal Eatery, if I recall, that was owned by the same family that owned Crown Burger and Apollo Burger and Atlantis Burger and Olympus Burger and all those yeah. all those places, uh, Greek family. So it's natural that I guess it transitioned from the Royal Eatery to, what did you say it was now? Apollo it's Burger? Apollo. It's an Apollo burger now. Yeah. 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 For South of Maine. Yeah. That was a great place. No memories there, man. <laughs> okay. And our last question for you, the favorite Olympic memory. That one, that's the easy one. That's the opening ceremonies. I had an unexpected uh, trip to the open ceremonies. I was just in the office on that day. Um, and I don't remember who it was, just had a couple extra tickets and they offered them to me and I thought, heck, I'm definitely taking that. Cause I think at the time that was probably the hottest ticket in the Olympics. Went home, as I mentioned, had a young daughter at the time. So my mother was in town from Phoenix where she was living and still lives. And I said to her, I said, so mom, you got anything going on tonight? She got, no. Do you want to go to the opening ceremonies with me? She's like, oh my gosh. So we took off. What a great time um, to see that live. And to this day, she still talks about it. It's the one memory she has of that time frame. She would tell all their friends, oh, I remember that time in Salt Lake City that I went to the opening ceremonies of the Olympics. <laughs> it's just this great. It just made her so happy. So it was a great moment for me, too. That's awesome. I actually forgot to ask you something. And that is, yeah. so the games end. Mm-hmm. Where do you go? Um, you were in the you were doing that job transition program. But what yeah. job did you actually transition to? <laughs> um, it wasn't an immediate transition, but I ended up working in the court system in Utah for about 15 years as the HR director there. So I, I moved into the government sector and still in the government sector, just in a different uh, category now in Arizona. But yeah, just kind of took a different path from other people. Stayed in the HR world, um, kind of moved away from the the games area. There, there's sometimes I wish I wouldn't have because there's certain certainly an appeal to that environment. But you know, hearing you talk, it sounds like it's really difficult to create the, the kind of magic we had there in Salt Lake. Well, that's really interesting. When you say you worked for the court system, was it the state courts or was it federal state court courts? system? Yeah, state. Uh, up until when did you actually work in the courts? <sighs> a little over a year ago. Interesting. Interesting. And then you decided to go back to Arizona. Yes. So it's, it's a nice change. I, honestly, here's the, here's the irony of someone who worked at Winter's Olympics. I really don't like winter that much. So, so being away from the snow is a nice thing. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Uh, not the least of which is having to shovel it, right? Oh yeah. That's, that's great. The, the, the good old snow shovels. Don't miss yeah. it. Don't miss it at all. Yeah, I've replaced snow shoveling with um, pool skimming. Um, which is taking the stuff that blows in your pool out of your pool on a daily basis. Well, which, which would you rather do? Shovel snow or skim a pool? Oh, I'd always skim a pool. All right. There you go. I think yeah. that's the right choice. That's the right Definitely. answer. Well, Rob, this little stroll down memory lane has been a lot of fun for me. I've really enjoyed the conversation and it's great to catch up with you. 
if listeners also want to connect with you and understand more what you're doing, how might they best connect with you? Well, on LinkedIn, as we talked about earlier, under my name, Brad Parks, uh, I actually have a Gmail account. If people want to go that route, it's just raparks at Gmail. Well, that's simple enough. Rob, again, thank you so much uh, for the for the time. I, I, I really, really enjoyed it. And listeners, please like and subscribe to our podcast. Thank you. Thank you, Christian. It was a great thing you're doing here. 